This is Aisle 42. And now for something completely different. (laughs) I'm sidestepping our roster of food founders for this one because I want to take you down the path less traveled. I chatted with Christy O'Leary, who's a subject matter expert and consultant that helps businesses of all types, including food and beverage and agriculture companies, to affect positive change, radical change. In this episode, we're going behind the scenes of how businesses can approach sustainability while still driving profits and how consumers, like you and I, can play a major role in how companies act and market more ethically. We talk about certifications, corporate responsibility. We talk about how international brands have the biggest role to play and how social justice fits into the sustainability mandate. The future is brighter through food when smart people are helping businesses become more transparent, more accountable, and more deeply committed to making things that are good for people and the planet. This is a really fun, thoughtful, and insightful conversation, and I know you're gonna love listening in. Here's Christy O'Leary from Decade Impact. Christy, before starting this podcast back in November, I made a promise to myself that I would take consumers, the everyday conscious grocery shopper, behind the scenes of the food industry. So I've been looking forward to this conversation for a while. But before we get to all the why and all the how and all the what, of your work in sustainability. In classic aisle 42 fashion, I want to kick it off with a simple question. If you could imagine the perfect grocery store of the future, what would it look like? Oh, that's really easy. The perfect grocery store of the future does not have self-serve checkout, one thing. Every person that works there is paid a, a fair living wage, and they get to kind of be connected to the food system in a really tangible, meaningful way. And that's through the products on the shelves. Every single product on the shelf of the grocery store of the future should be a regenerative product. It should, by its mere existence, leave something better than it was before that product was created. So the lettuce in that grocery store regenerates soil. The meat products in that store are humanely harvested and those animals were used in regenerative agriculture. So I feel like regenerative is the name of the game for the grocery store of the future. Okay, so there was a lot there. (laughs) A lot of people take much easier paths to (laughs) answering that question. So good for you. That lines up well with your brand, I think, with the and is what I know of you. So I I love it. Let's just take a moment there. When you talk about regenerative, what do you mean by regenerative? Because I feel like we're starting to see that thrown around a lot. It's getting attached to the word organic a lot. But I worry that at the grocery store level, it's just one too many words. It's one too many distinctions for consumers to actually get their head wrapped around, just given that it sounds sophisticated. Yes, it is sophisticated. And so organic is organic. It means that in the production of that food product, there were less chemicals used or no chemicals used in the production of that food product. Regenerative means that to regenerate something, to leave something better, to make it better, to heal it. And when we put those two words, regenerative organic together, we get a process by which not only are those foods created or or, uh, grown using less chemicals, but they're also using processes that heal soil and heal the environment. So it's kind of like a little bit deeper down the kind of healing path for the planet 
than traditional just organic, if that makes sense. I am also not an expert in, in regenerative organic agriculture. No problem. I wouldn't know what to ask if you were. <laughs> that pretty much summarized my, my, I mean, it's one of those things where I think from a, from a farming perspective, it's very tangible. It does, it does make sense. When I talk to farmers, especially ones that, you know, care deeply, they have a lot of things to consider. It's really hard for them to do their job and adding layers of regenerative practices when they're doing it, it is a deep commitment and it's not cheap and it's hard on their, on, on their operations. So when I hear farmers talking about it and food companies talking about regenerative practices, I lean in because I just, yeah, like you said, it is sophisticated and it's a, a tricky play. Yeah. When I'm thinking about regenerative practices, I'm not just thinking about like how we grow food, but really thinking about, we could take that regenerative kind of concept and, and it can move through every input and output of a company or an organization. So like I said, with that grocery store of the future, all those folks are paid a living wage. I think that that idea kind of, I don't want to go way down the rabbit hole already to like get into the justice space. But I think when we're doing, when we're moving beyond this kind of bottom line approach, like how are these, the people that own these companies maximizing their shareholder returns? And we start to think about what is like value mean across the kind of spectrum of who deserves value? I think that's when we're getting into this. I think the grocery store of the future creates value for everyone involved. Everyone is left better as a result. And those products for those consumers, every product you pull off the shelf is fighting social inequity. It's fighting climate change. It's creating economic opportunities for people you'll never, ever meet or touch or know. Beautifully said. I think one of my worries is that brands that are doing those things or trying to do those things, they're relegated to the natural or organic aisle and they'll never leave that aisle. And a lot of consumers don't go down that aisle because that's the expensive aisle. And it can be, I think, an amazing opportunity to see that expand and that aisle get disseminated across the grocery store and eventually start competing and commanding shelf space away from brands that are hurting the earth, that are not giving living wages, that are in fact creating injustices. So it's, uh, yeah, it's quite quite the battleground. The grocery store is. We've jumped right into the deep end. Oh my gosh, what I want to let's let's go back up to the shallow water for a second. Ever calm down. Uh, you have referred to yourself as a culture jammer. And I don't know if I've heard maybe from days of um, subscribing to Adbusters magazine or I don't know what it was, maybe a little Naomi Klein action, but why don't you tell us a little bit about your culture jamming? Well, I, you know, I am an Adbusters kid. I grew up, you know, I was a teenager in the 90s. I was telling someone the other day, I remember watching like the, the news coverage of the battle in Seattle when I was a teenager and thinking like, these people are heroes that they're, they're doing this direct action. And I think when I think about what culture jamming means to me in my everyday life, it means really creating opportunities for people to think twice about what they know to be true and what they know to be acceptable. And I think that we, you know, at Decade, that's what we're doing all the time is working with companies to help them kind of reframe what is it you're capable of achieving and what do you know to be true that may not be true anymore and what new stories can we create what new opportunities and initiatives can we create 
for the folks that are engaging with those companies. I don't always work with CPG brands. We do work with some food companies. Yeah. So let's go there for a second. So how are you helping? How does Decade Impact do its work? Like when you're sitting down with a food or beverage company or a retailer and and they they've brought you in because they obviously they want to do something and <laughs> they want to do something better. What is it that you guys do? So a lot of folks know Decade as a company that helps other companies become certified B Corps. So for your listeners, if you don't know what that is, it's a holistic third-party certification for a brand that proves they meet the highest standards of social, economic, kind of governance, environmental standards in business. Now, a lot of companies will come to us because they're like, we want to meet this standard. We want to be a B Corp. We want to be able to put this on our packaging. So it's kind of a, a symbol that people that care about the world put all their hopes and dreams in. And so when they come to us, what we see is, okay, we just, by saying that, we know you want to be better. Being better, becoming regenerative, that means something different to every company, that depending on their size, their you know, revenue, their industry, the jurisdiction in which they do business or the jurisdictions in which they do business. And so really, at Decade, we work with companies and teams of people in companies to help them vision ambitious goals, and then build towards those goals. We do a lot of implementation work. So we don't just go, look at this fancy thing, go get it. We kind of become kind of fractional members of their team. And we're like, let's go after that thing. Let's get it together. What's an example of a thing, like an initiative or a program or an aspiration that a food brand could have in sustainability? Well, I think for, you know, you mentioned it earlier, it's this concept of you know, that organic aisle is the expensive aisle. It really is. And so one of the most exciting brands that, that I've worked with in a long time is Ocean Brands. They have a, a variety of brands that they have in their portfolio and they do a lot of fish in cans. There's a lot of fish in cans on grocery store shelves, except, you know, they have done like third-party kind of verification of their impact they're one of the, the products that I see as kind of in this space where they've broken the mold. Like they're not in the organic section. They're on a regular shelf. Anyone can afford to buy their product. The price was not inflated as a result of the impact they create. And so with their kind of products, they're just these practices to create, you know, social and environmental impact are just really embedded in every step of the process. And so I think they're really exciting. But maybe they're a bit of green blushers too. They're not really talking about how exciting they are, I don't think. Another really interesting brand, of course, is Patagonia. I think we all know Patagonia as the, the brand that, that makes outdoor equipment and sues the Trump government. They're an activist brand. They are culture jammers, if there ever were a culture jamming brand. And they actually started a, a food company, their food brand, which is Patagonia Provisions. They're all regenerative organic agriculture. They actually helped create the standard. And I think that what they're doing is really exciting. You know, there's lots of clams on the market you can buy, but theirs are just laden with impact and stories and metrics that really help the consumer understand that what they're doing by purchasing that product is deeply important. Or in the moment of when they consume that product and 
when they're looking across the table at their children and they're hoping that they have a future that is beautiful and safe and just. If I had a nickel for every food brand that said to me that they want to be the Patagonia of their category, I think, um, I think I'd be a rich man. And you know what? They're not going to do that. They're not going to get there unless they like kind of get radical. So I'm with you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Patagonia are so fascinating because like Yvonne Schwenard, the founder of Patagonia, wasn't in it for the money. So like has no fear and has proven that, you know, without the fear, the more radical they get, the more money they make. And I think they're an incredible example of what happens when companies like lean into this work and go for it. Are there any publicly traded food companies that are radicalized? You know, I don't really think so. Like I know Unilever has in their portfolio, they have a number of companies in their portfolio that are doing really interesting things. I actually think Unilever itself as a company, like some of those brands are doing amazing things in terms of their formulations. You know, some formulations are developed with like higher iron levels that are sold in countries where there's iron deficiencies in populations. Like there's there's some kind of like public health pieces that are happening in that portfolio. I don't really think so. I think another amazing company that has incredible marketing and they're really backing it up with impact initiatives that matter is Liquid Death. You know, they are a marketing company. They're doing incredible. Their marketing is amazing, but they're also a 1% for the planet member. They're doing a lot of kind of radical stuff on the impact side of things uh, that's driving their brand performance and their sales. So I think they're a pretty outside the box brand. But they put water I know. on boats and ship it across the ocean. So it's, it's sort of like- Nobody's uh, perfect, right? I know, right? It's, it's just this, it's uh, such a, it's a bit of a head game. So let's, let's not go too far into our heads. <laughs> can I lean into something there that I think is incredibly important, especially for consumers? Perfect is the enemy of good. This is our mantra at Decade. This is my mantra in all things. While we're demanding perfection from people that are trying to do better, the traditional conventional companies that may be bad actors, they're just doing what they do. So like sometimes as consumers, we're so focused on perfection that we don't allow that progress piece to really take place in those companies. So I think look for better, but don't demand perfection as a consumer. Like you got to support those companies as they take these steps. If we all like perfect isn't real, we're not going to get there. So well said, well said. Okay. I'll calm down. <laughs> I get it. Like water in a box or water in a can. I just think water is a basic human, right? But if you're going to put it in a can, let's use that act and that brand to like make people think about things like environmental activism, racial equity, like all the things that they're kind of doing over there. Just from a, on a marketing standpoint, just the fact that a brand like Liquid Death has almost in the laughing, in the face of all this non-alcoholic movement, they've created a, a water beverage that a lot of people are very proud to hold and to socialize around. And the way in which Liquid Death has destigmatized non-alcoholic drinking and, and just for the sake of water, even flavored water, it's remarkable. So I, I think Seth Godin was 
I don't know if this is exactly a Seth Godin quote, but I feel like I've heard him say it where it's like the effective climate action isn't a technology or innovation problem. It's a marketing problem. Uh, I very much wonder, you know, if brands like Liquid Death continue to lean into some of these places, just in, in going after the ego of the consumers, like, hey, good things can happen when we get creative. Yeah, honestly, I think there's the magic that these companies can create for us. And I feel like as consumers, we need to demand the magic. It's our right to be entertained and given something beautiful. Like, if they can, why wouldn't they? I think that's why Patagonia is con- consistently winning, is that like they're just so clearly focused on more than just products. I think that that's beautiful. Like, you know, another brand, not a food brand, but a brand that was one of the kind of earlier impact brands that I think really stole hearts was Tom's Shoes. Now, they didn't do it because they had the best shoes in the world. I think they did it because they created this visceral moment where when people put their shoes on, they go, wow, somebody, somebody else is getting, somebody else is putting, sliding their feet into a pair of these shoes. Somebody I'm never going to see, never going to meet, but they need this thing, right? There's like that. I think that if brands can create that magic, like, I think that's what this this good stuff should all be about. So what do you see on the consumer side, the consumer preferences, consumer behaviors? How, how as shoppers do we influence the grocery store to make better, regenerative, healthier, better, you know, better for us and the planet food stuff? Yeah, I think grocery stores are challenging because they're a system that kind of functions in a lot of opacity. I don't think consumers really understand how things get on the shelves, why things get on the shelves, how long they stay, whether they're on the, the bottom shelf or they're at eye level, whether they're at knee level or eye level. So I think that's one, that's kind of, there's a, there's a challenge there for consumers to affect that system and that decision-making. I think always uh, demanding more from retailers is really important. Like a, like a true little culture jamming kid, you know, call someone, write to someone, tell them you want to see better brands on the shelves. Ultimately, consumers, we are many. If we demand action from retailers, we will get it. It's just a matter of how do you organize consumers around what's in their grocery cart? That's challenging. These are sometimes kind of automatic actions that people are taking. I know that my grocery cart is often filled up with exactly the same things every week. So there's a challenge there. I feel like the, and from the marketing standpoint, it's always really hard to educate and to promote or sell at the same time. It can be two very different messages. You know, you can be like, you know, this product is reducing the use of plastic in this category. And oh, by the way, if you buy two, you get 50 cents off. And, you know, like it's sort of, it is hard when consumers have all these messages, all this media, all this social content, all these inputs coming at them for a consumer to take in all of that at the same time. It's really, really hard. And I think brands, especially the conscious brands, they feel pressure to do both. But in the end, probably the promotional effort is going to win out. So for the brands that are doing good and sort of, you even kind of said it earlier, like maybe they're not pushing that bit, but they're doing that bit to, to do whether it's, you know, whatever the initiative is. So I think you're right. It's that consumer 
the consumers rallying behind their brands and the retailers that are doing good and some really great things are going to happen. It's going to take some some civic action. It's going to take some a groundswell of support, I think, that uh, might be difficult to, to rally. Yeah, I think, you know, consumers have a lot to think about. I often, when I'm working with brands, I want them to, to communicate what they do. I don't want them to be green blushers. The green blushers are doing all the work and they are not talking about it or they're not effectively talking about it. So that marketing and storytelling piece is absolutely critical for those good brands. Like they need to do it and they need to do it right. I think that so many consumers, they just don't know. Like they don't have access to the content they need to be able to make those kind of like revolutionary decisions at the grocery store. And like you said, it's really hard to educate and build your market at the same time. A lot of these certifications, and B Corp is an example, have metrics. They give scores and ratings to to businesses. And if you're a if your B Corp is, I think is the baseline eighty eight or ninety two, whatever yeah, the number points. you can speak yeah. to. Okay, eighty. So you know you look at the way governments are impacting package designs, saying now there's new packaging regulations coming out where based on fat or salt or whatever, they got to have warning labels on it. Are we going to go the way of the cigarette pack where someone will show, you know, like, you know, abdomen blubber <laughs> if on the front package? I don't know if it's going to go that bad, but are we going to see down the road, like scores or ratings or symbols or red light, green light, yellow light, or like, is there going to be that kind of thing? And if there are, is it going to be helpful? Will consumers actually change their behavior based on, oh, this product has a low score, but the product next to it has a high score? Okay, I think scores matter. But I'm a standard nerd. Like, I'm a standards B Corp. You know, like, I'm a standards nerd. So that's what we part of what we do at Decade. So I feel like not everybody is into that. I think if we look at the you know, pull it out of like scores and, and, and start to kind of think about behavioral economics on, um, uh, streets, they've said, you know, if they tell you the speed you're going on those little, you know, those pop-up signs, you're going 55, they're not really that effective in making you slow down. But if you see a sad face looking at you, the, the little sad face rather than a happy face, you're more likely to slow down. So I think there's an element of using standards to really understand the granularity of like how a brand is leaving it better and not only how they're already leaving it better, but where are those opportunities for improvement over time? Those are important. Those are critical pieces for brands because like I've worked with brands for years that were like, we're really doing something. And then when we get into it, we're like, you're really kind of not like just because it's in your heart doesn't mean it's actually what's happening. And so let's make that happen. I think with that kind of happy, happy, sad face, I think it's translating those standards in a way that consumers can trust and feel that they don't have to do a lot of work. Like I think ultimately at the end of the day, what we want at Decade is to always embed these brands with as much impact that all the consumer needs to know is we've got this. We're doing our part. We're performing at the highest level we possibly can right now. We're transparent about it. So you can tr trust buying our stuff. Is the B Corp logo, is that going to do it? Is the B Corp logo on packaging going to signal that to consumers? It does for me. 
I know when I buy anything, I look for the B Corp option because I understand the depth of that certification and how much work it actually takes to get it. You know, it is not for the faint of heart. It's a company has to really meet it to get it. So I look for that. Do they have the kind of consumer awareness that they need uh, right now? Maybe not. I wish they did. I wish I could say yes. I think as a standard, yes, it is the most holistic standard in the market right now, kind of universal standard on the world. It's the best standard, in my opinion. But do consumers know it's the best standard and understand why? Likely not. I want to dive into a category for a second. The coffee pods. Nespresso is a B Corp certified coffee pod company. And there are many competitors in that category saying that they are more sustainable and more eco-friendly and more things than the behemoth, which is Nespresso. So how does the consumer look at that and go, okay, well, you know, this coffee pot over here is made out of, you know, plant fibers and it's going to, I can put it in my compost, my green compost underneath my sink. Nespresso says they're B Corp certified, but yet we're FedExing, you know, rotting pods around the world if if we do it at all and there's a lot more plastic and stuff involved so how does a consumer take something like that and actually make a decision based on you know the b corp certification so you bring up an important point i'll put it to you this way i personally don't buy nespresso's products i have a different standard for what i want to buy and bring into my home so i agree with the sentiment in many ways Now, do we need the behemoths to be transparent, to measure their impact, and to build improvement plans? Absolutely. So I think anyone who is ticked off that that Nespresso became a certified B Corp, I invite them to go to Nespresso's profile on the B Corp website and download. You can read their almost their entire assessment, of which I think they did four massive assessments. It was it was absolutely a a gargantuan effort to get them certified. And they did have to change things. Now, I'm still not buying their stuff, but I think that them certifying lights a fire under a bunch under a bunch of other companies that are that size to say, well, we better get our house in order as well. I'm still gonna buy Salt Spring Coffee. Like I'm still gonna buy the little guy that I wanna support and that has been in the game for a long time. So I totally agree. I think you know, not all companies that certify, they don't all win my heart. But I think from a bunch of folks at the top level of a massive multinational like Nespresso, for them to take up that challenge of getting certified. And again, standard nerd, I know how much effort it takes to get it. That was a deep investment of people and energy and capital to make that happen. Interesting. Well, I appreciate you approaching it that way. I think it is sometimes a real chaotic sea of (laughs) right like this is where the perfect thing comes in if i change burger town downstairs with one location i've done a good thing if they change they become they're doing things really really well they're paying a living wage let's just even just take living wage they're paying a living wage to their employees i can go there i can feel good about burger town i can buy their burgers they don't have to be good for me if mcdonald's were to do that they change the economy. So I think there is a space in this world for these large players. Impact isn't just for little guys. And if we get the big guys to take it, to do this stuff, 
then we're making real progress to fight climate change and social inequity and economic inequality and all of these pieces. Soapbox. Love it. Good soapbox. <laughs> so you mentioned social justice early on. Are we talking about living wage? Are we talking about slave labor? What are we talking about when we want to hold brands to a higher standard in relationship to how they treat people? This is a tough one. We're going a little bit deeper into the work we do. We work with these companies. When they want to change things, they normally change people things first. Like we just, I look at you, you know, Corwin, and I'm like, you're a human. I want you to thrive. I want you to be happy. I want you to feel good. I want my team to thrive and feel good. I think sometimes the social impact piece of the equation is easier to access in terms of making things better than environment. Environment, carbon is invisible. You know, there's, there's a lot going on there. I think that we need to demand transparency from companies and that can be hard. And so this is another reason why I love the B Corp certification is because you know those companies have been very transparent about how their workers are paid. Yeah, it's the idea that brands find the human side of the equation more approachable because it's tangible. It's right in front of them. Whereas you start talking about carbon credits yeah, yeah. <laughs> and your brains want to explode and the mathematicians get involved and you know its impact is... It kind of, that's where it starts to feel like greenwashing pretty fast. So the social justice side of the equation is the transparency really moves the needle quickly. And I think a huge piece of that social justice piece is like the economic justice. And that's really trying to understand how consumers can spend their money more locally. I know everybody's beating the drum of buy local, but buying local is one of the single greatest things you can do to fight climate change increase economic inclusion in your kind of region, in your community, in your region. It's absolutely huge. And I think one of the things, again, when we go into the standard, one of the things B-Lab is looking at is they are really closely looking at how much of the money this company spent was it spent locally. And local is within 80 kilometers. Local's not a thousand kilometers. Like it's like local. So I think yeah, it's, but it's hard for these consumers to do all this research. I know it is hard, isn't it? Okay, let's wrap it up with an easy one. If you're holding a green grocery basket right now, what products would you have in your cart? In my specific? In your basket. If you're holding your basket and you're grocery shopping right now, okay. what are some of the brands? Just brag about some of the brands that you love buying. You mentioned Salt Spring Coffee, so I'm holding you to that one. Okay, Salt Spring. I love Salt Spring Coffee. I love organically grown a local produce. I'm a real fresh food person. So I like my food very fresh and very local. Some of the other brands, I love Loop, Loop Mission out of Montreal. They're doing incredible things. Like they are such a radical, amazing brand. I love them so much. They like may just change food systems just on their own. I just interviewed uh, Julie actually. Oh, Amazing so people. Good. Amazing people. I'm trying to think of the other uh, the other brands. I love Brew Doctor. I'm a kombucha person. I love my Brew Doctor. Yeah, so many things. That's solid. Solid. So good many job. things, Corwin. 
I really appreciated this chat. I, I feel like if I could learn so much, just maybe one day I'll just shadow you. Could I be your intern? <laughs> I'll, I'll push some paper for you. <laughs> Honestly, better yet, we just do like a big project with your company. That'd be even better. I'd love it. Yeah. I will say shameless self-promotion before we go. For any of those consumers out there listening, you know, I hope you got something out of this today and some tools for how to buy better things. Look for 1% for the planet companies, look for B Corp certified companies, look for, you know, carbon neutral, plastic neutral, fair trade certified, direct trade. If you see the term direct trade on a package, buy that product. They're doing amazing work. For the companies that are listening to this right now, get radical. It's time, you know. I don't know if you've been watching what's happening at COP right now, but time is running out for us to to ensure a livable planet for future generations. And that's I know it sounds so heavy, but it's true. And I think it's the responsibility of brands to make that happen. We can't put it on consumers. Their recycling habits aren't going to save the world. It's the the how of how the economy functions that that has the potential to leave it better. Well said. Well said. Thank you, Christy, for your time and for everything you're doing. Uh, I agree. I do hope we get to work on a project together very, very soon. Thanks, Corwin. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Christy. I know I did. Appreciate all of the love and support you're giving through Apple Podcasts and Spotify with your star ratings and your one or two sentence reviews. Appreciate you listening. This episode is proudly brought to you by Ethical Food Group, and I'm Corwin Hebert. I'll see you in the future.